0: Hello, everybody. Hello from wherever you are listening. We are here in Spokane, and this is Making It in Spokane with Gina from 1889 Salvage Company. And as always, I'm super excited because I get to talk with some cool people on this podcast. So as you know, this is a podcast about living a creative life, and I think it's really awesome. This is a beautiful fall day, which fall is so much change. I love it my favorite season. And today I'm talking with EJ Ionelli and he is just a lot of things. I'm going to let him describe himself here in a minute, but I think it's perfect that we're interviewing him in fall because I think he's a really great change agent. And I think change is super creative, an act of courage to do things for change. And we're just going to talk to him, get inside his head, poke around for a minute uh thank you guys every everybody for listening and uh good morning ej
1: good morning Uh, can i call attention to that that really nice seg from fall to change (laughs) very well done very well done. thank you so (laughs) much
0: thank you so much so tell us just a little bit i mean i know you're a writer you're a translator you are an environmentalist um you were the founder of the Emerson Garfield Farmer's Market mm-hmm. that has now been passed on to the wonderful Anne. i like to give her a, a little boost there. And, uh, but I want to talk about all that stuff. So tell me what I'm, what am I missing?
1: Um, I think usually when I, when I end up having to write little pithy bios about myself, I just kind of use the one word dilettante because it, um, I just, I, I'm a dabbler. I, I dabble in a lot of different things. And so, um, jack of all trades, master of none, right? that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I can't help but be, you know, like squirrels and nuts, be interested and distracted by everything. And so when I see something that strikes my fancy, I kind of tend to gravitate towards
0: it. Well, I think you're also self-deprecating, which is a nice, which is nice because, uh, I think a lot of people who who say they're the jack-of-all-trades and master-of-none are just really talented. Um,
1: Well, yeah, I, m- maybe the, the humility is, is, <laughs> is all feigned. It, I, I don't know. It's a nice, it's a virtue.
0: It's a nice virtue. I think, if, I, I don't think I am jack-of-all-trades and master-of-none. I'm like really good at like three things, maybe. And so I make, I just brag about those three things. It's <laughs> three things, three things only.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, hit, hit hard at what you know. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to pinpoint an exact, you know, what do I do? Because I just, like I said, end up dabbling in everything. So, um, oh God, and it sounds so cliche to say, you know, I, I tend to avoid labels. Like an environmentalist just brings up. You know, so many stereotypes. Right, right. And um, and, and and while I would cef- cef- certainly say, like, you know, do you fall into the environmental camp? I would de- say yes. And yes. it's kind of crazy that anybody wouldn't. Right. Um, well,
0: you add an ist to something or an ism, and then you're all of a sudden you're you're kind of putting it in a in a category. Yeah,
1: you're you're suddenly part of that camp with with all of its uh, right. credos and and everything And extremes
0: like that. and all of that. And and I don't think you're an extremist at all, but I do think that uh I think that you uh walk the talk. I mean, EJ rode his bike here today. So I think you're a lover of the environment and a a want to save the environment and use as much use as little as you can. Um, and I think that's a really, you know, because I mean, you you really do ride your bike everywhere.
1: I try, and can I? So totally tangential, but can this kind of speaks to the benefits of cycling, and walking for that matter too. So on my way down here, I I ended up passing my workplace, and one of the um one of the my colleagues was outside, and so we just had a quick exchange, but it was. In, a, in an automobile, I wouldn't have been able to do that. But here right. I was kind of cycling very quickly down to, to, to get here and was able to see her and say, hey, Stephanie, how are you? And, <laughs> and that's a good morning. I'll see you later today. That yeah. sort of thing. And so it's those those interactions that kind of build community and build camaraderie and and establish just kind of that common humanity that yes. I think the automobile deprives us deprives us of. So. Yes,
0: absolutely. And I think that you were so, so right, and we're so lucky to live in a really cool neighborhood. There's lots of cool neighborhoods in Spokane. I love love love, 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 Emerson Garfield. Um, it's just got a lot you know, going for it. And sometimes on a, on a fall day and I'm walking the 96 steps from my house to the store and it feels a little like, you know, I'm saying hi to the guys at the brickyard and I'm waving to Ike from across the street. You know, it feels a little like, uh, you know, the Bronx in the fifties or Brooklyn in the 50s. you know, where you, where you're saying hi to your neighbors and, you know, that sense of, community and, and neighborhood is just important. I think it's good for the soul.
1: And the thing is, too, um, again, I'm biased, I suppose, but um, it's it's very organic. Um, it, none of it's forced or contrived. It's right. not sort of an, a, a development that's been built to kind of, you know, I think of like Disney's celebration in Florida that's kind of built to create that. All of this kind of arose in our neck of the woods organically. It is people who genuinely seem interested and and desirous of living in a place where they can just kind of wave hi to people.
0: Yeah. You know? And connect on a, on a real level. So we mentioned Emerson Garfield and you founded the Emerson Garfield farmer's market. Is that's correct?
1: Yeah. And, um, so with Dave Muster, so. Okay. I, and if we end up talking about neighborhood, like is so much goes back to Dave. And okay. do you, can I, can I tell yes, a story? Absolutely. Okay. I I tend to share this because I think it's indicative of so many things like, you know, the people in our neighborhood, our neighborhood in general. Um, So, yeah, so the Emerson Garfield farmers market came after I had been in the neighborhood for a few years. Um, And actually, yeah, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself and even going there. So I'll go all the way back. So we were my my wife and I were in Germany. Um, We'd been living there for the better part of a decade. And um, we we found ourselves at kind of that precipitous moment where you say, okay, do we lay down roots here or do we go somewhere else? And so we're like, okay, where do we go? And so we kind of were able to choose from anywhere. My wife is British, which and England was a member of the EU at that time. So we had the EU open to us. We had the Commonwealth open to us. We had the US open to us. And we thought, we know, we can be really picky and really strategic about where we want to live. So let's draw up like a crazy wish list of criteria and then see what place kind of meets those criteria. And so there were things like cost of living, you know, very practical things like like that, which, you know, are, are very important. But there was also things like, okay, where can we live that has urban amenities, but also like a symphony, for example, or um, an independent movie theater. But also within maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you can be out on a a hiking trail. And so we drew up this wish list of criteria and then started kind of trying to zero in on where we were going to land. And that ended up kind of being Spokane. I say, kind of. It was Spokane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was yeah, say, yeah. You we just li-
0: described Spokane. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: And so, um, so I came out here on kind of a house hunting, fact finding mission. I had been here in the late '90s and had driven through on a cross country road trip, and we were stopping at, at bookstores all across the U.S. On, as part of this road trip, and um, we would stopped at Ante's. And the downtown at the time was a bomb site, and we were like, "We're <laughs> not. I'm never coming back here. You know, I'm just passing <sighs> through." And I ended up settling in Seattle for a little while. Um, but this time I came back and I thought, you know, I feel there's a different energy here, yeah. certainly. And we found a house that we, that, that we really liked. And I was solo. So my, my, uh, so my wife was still back in Germany with the kids. And so I, they were entrusting me to find a place where we could live. No pressure. Yeah, yeah. No pressure. And so, um, I found this house and, and the, the real estate agent was like, oh, you want to live on the South Hill? You want to live on the South? And I was like, yeah, you know, it's nice here. Like there are things that are you know, that are very, very nice about this place. But I I kind of want to see that house we looked at at the beginning in that other neighborhood. And so we ended up coming back and it was like, it was a fall, actually, no, it wasn't a fall day. It was, um, I think it was sometime in in May. But, you know, the light was hitting just right. I went back in the evening. And so I was looking at the house a second time and the family hadn't had any time to prepare. So they were just kind of doing their thing as I retoured the house. And there was a knock at the door and all of a sudden, this, um, I hear there's, there's an exchange at the, at the front door, and then the, the, um, the homeowner came back, and his wife says, oh, who was that? And he said, oh, it was just somebody around the block inviting us to a neighborhood barbecue. And that to me was the deciding factor. Like I said, I wanna live in a place where neighbors go around inviting other neighbors to barbecues like that to me. And it, you know, it wasn't staged. There was nothing there. It was just somebody knocking at this person's door saying, come to our barbecue. Right. That person based on the voice that I heard, I believe it was Dave Musser. Yeah. Which would make total sense. Right, totally. Um,
0: And for those of you who don't know, um, Dave is a pastor at, Oh, gosh, it's altar. Too- altar church. As well as his son, um... Uh, has Bellwether Brewery, and so they make some uh, delicious well. No, beer. Dave, Tim.
1: Tim is Dave's. Father. Oh, Tim is. Da- oh, yeah, so it's Dave. Dave. It was
0: Dave Musser. Tim is is Dave's dad, right? Yeah, and, gotcha.
1: Yeah, and Tim is also heavily invested in neighborhood. I just events saw and, Tim
0: in my mind, and so I went with it. Yeah. not enough coffee is the problem. <laughs> um, so, Dave, so it was actually Dave.
1: I I think it was Dave. And okay. Dave, you know, I've I've tried to confirm it with him, you know,
0: since yeah, and said was this you, and he was like, yeah, it was probably me. One of the what loveliest I mean. human beings in the world as is his dad and his mother yeah lois they're both lovely
1: um so at any rate that was kind of and then that sold me on the house and the neighborhood and so we um ended up arriving a couple months later and settled and immediately we had been relatively i mean just because of german society in general we had felt kind of uh alienated to some extent i mean yeah
0: even though you're you're a fluent german speaker
1: yeah yeah i I ended up becoming i mean i went over there having only studied spanish and so ended up learning german very quickly because i was working in a german agency doing english copywriting ah yeah so i eventually and then i took started taking on piecemeal translation work and then that built and built and built and uh, you know again side story but it was one of those things where i didn't i'm not a car aficionado by any means but um I guess this is where the dilettante part plays in, but i get I started getting these automotive translations and for you know specialty cars like you know Porsche and Ferrari and stuff like that, like coffee table books uh-huh and so I didn't even have this automotive vocabulary in English, um so I learned it you know I had to learn it by force in a way um. So I ended up acquiring this German automotive vocabulary that I then kind of back translated into English.
0: I need an Advil. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) So I still do that. I just got done with um, uh, a book about a uh, a ferrari gto that was that was historic and ended up doing that um
0: which is really a, ironic for a guy who kind of avoids driving
1: exactly <laughs> but, but you know there is there is a real appeal to some of those uh some of those classic cars oh I mean, yeah you can look at them and appreciate them as the aesthetic marvels that they are right and,
0: yeah. and they're already manufactured
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that um and then also i mean in the automotive world like mercedes is moving towards a lot of them are l- moving towards electric drives and right. So that's really encouraging to see, and you know, electric drives have more torque and and actually bring a lot of advantages to racing in addition to being cleaner. So right. you know, it's so
0: that's good. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so the market. Yeah, yeah. So the so when I arrived, I started looking at ways we could be involved because I thought I'm I feel like I'm missing that community connection. I've been I've been missing that community connection, mm. and so let's look for intentional ways we can get involved in the community. And so I started reaching out saying you know, what opportunities are available? And I ended up getting in touch with our neighborhood council um, and just thought, oh, this seems like a really good sort of grassroots group to just kind of figure out what's going on in the neighborhood, meet other people, um, you know, maybe do some cool events, things like that. And then over the over the next few years, through my involvement with the neighborhood council, we embarked on these like much larger planning initiatives. And out of those planning initiatives arose, people kept saying, And this is at a time when there were only like two farmer's markets in Spokane. Mm -hmm. People were saying, well, we we would love to see a farmer's market. And that made perfect sense to me because this is where, you know, going all the way back to that barbecue invite, Mm -hmm. this is where neighbors can kind of come together and see each other on a regular basis and say hi and invite one another to barbecues and even find out that there are barbecues going on in the first place and where you can make those community connections mm-hmm. and see folks. And then of course we all have to eat. Um, food access is a huge issue. Um, and so wouldn't it be great to not go to the grocery store but actually go and buy it from small farmers who are just starting out and can sell you higher quality produce, higher quality meat, um, you know, higher quality uh, uh, you know, produced goods um, for an equivalent, maybe sometimes there's a little bit of a premium, sometimes they're lower. Um, so that it becomes affordable, mm-hmm. and then there's also the educational component. A lot of folks don't realize about the agri-industrial food system, and so what better way to learn about it and mm-hmm. correct it than by chatting with the farmers who are doing it? So it, it made so many so much sense in so many ways, and so um, yeah, and so I, I, I this was a product out of that planning initiative where people were calling for it, and I thought, well, it's not going to make itself, and so. <laughs> Dave no. <laughs> and I were sitting at what was then, um, well, it's Jacob's Java now. Um, the name, what Cafe Delicio is what it used to be. And we were sitting there looking at the unused parking lot across the way, which was completely empty. Uh, it's the Adult Education Center parking lot. And, you know, maybe you had um, some folks doing stuff they shouldn't do in the parking lot. And we thought, well. No. Yeah. So we thought maybe we should, let, you know, what a great opportunity. We have this platform and so Dave and I in 2013, um, and it it really is like, I, I hesitate to, to toot my own horn, but it really is such a success story because it, I think it was in May that we were, that we hatched this idea and everybody's like, oh, you want to start it next season. You don't want to do anything. We're like, no, no, no. If we're going to get it done, let's get it done now. And so by July, mid-July, we had a functioning market with like 12 vendors and, and that sort of thing.
0: Okay, so I don't mind tooting your horns, so I'm going to toot your horn. So uh, now uh, the market – here's one of the reasons why I love this market and I, not that – the other markets don't have this as well. But when I go there and I look at the programs that it's not, I mean, you can buy, you know, beautiful lettuce that was just harvested and all of that and beautiful bread and, and honey. And they had opera there this season. It was so amazing, but I think it's, it's, it is a lower income. This isn't the South Hill. Mm -hmm. This is a lower income neighborhood. Um, and food access is, is difficult now, as ever and there are so many wonderful programs for people um, where they're getting matched mm-hmm. to maybe some food benefits they have there's educational programs for kids um, so they're getting more for their money um, they're teaching children about farm to table and then stuff like opera and uh, music and all that kind of thing so it's real I think it's it's been built into such a great community-based grassroots. Um, this isn't um this isn't where you go and buy some, you know, hundred dollar eye cream that somebody, you know, this this is like actual really good food somebody just pulled out of the earth. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah.
1: And that was a big that for me, that was a driving factor. I was on the board at the main market co-op for a while and and again, that was one of the things that was going in as I was arriving and I mm-hmm. and think something that made us made Spokane more attractive to mm-hmm. us because we thought, hey, if there's if it can support a co-op, that's a place where we want to live. And so when people are thinking, you know, kind of in general terms about amenities and what brings people to Spokane, you know, these these are the sorts of things that we need to be encouraging. But that's maybe a conversation for another day. But um Yeah, with the market itself, access was super, super, super important to me. I wanted ordinary folks like myself and my neighbors to be able to shop there, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and be able to keep coming back and do things like expose, you know, like bringing in opera. You know, a lot of folks might say like, eh, it's not really my bag. You know, that's for a different kind of crowd. And you know, what Inland Northwest Opera is trying to do is say, no, 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 this is no. part of the, the the wider cultural conversation. Like mm-hmm. you can enjoy opera too. Opera is for you. And yes. so that's kind of been a driving MO in, in a lot of this is just saying, no, no, no. Farmers markets aren't some boutique no. uh, rarefied environment. Like y- they are for you and me and everybody else.
0: Right. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think the folks that work hard, um, I know eventually you, uh, you know, sort of passed it on mm-hmm. to other people um, and they're doing an amazing job as well. But I mean, it, it, it is a lot of work but he's,
1: yeah and i did it for 7 years yeah. and that's the thing like you say oh like what do as you as a
0: volunteer do?
1: yeah and that, that another thing that i want to emphasize is that the market is all volunteer nobody gets paid so many other markets around town are businesses and that's good that's a good model right. and maybe that's yeah. sustainable for them in the long term but for us i mean and i think it just speaks to the grassroots en- roots engagement and the the ethos Uh, of the entire market and the dedication of all the the volunteers, including Tim Musser, who comes out every week and sets up and packs up that, you know, this is all volunteer run. Right. Um, I lost my train of thought about where I was going from there and ended up getting sort of distracted, but oh, so- (laughs)
0: Squirrel. Yeah, yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. (laughs) Um, but for a lot of a, a long time, people were like, "Oh, so this is your full time gig? Like you do the market?" Right. And it's like, uh, no, no, no. no. I, I do this in addition to other stuff. Unfortunately, at the time, I had a, a a job that allowed me the flexibility to take my Friday afternoons off, and then lots of other time throughout the week off to dedicate it to the market. Right. Yeah. Yes. And other
0: things. I, yeah. I I rem- when I first moved in to this neighborhood, I was I had my business. Um, for a year before I moved it just up the street a little bit. And then we bought a house in the neighborhood. I literally am 96 steps from door to door. It's lovely. But I remember, I think we met cause you called and of course anybody with an Italian name I'm on. <laughs> so we talked about that cause I'm Gina Marina Francesca. Uh, and, I, I, you know I love my fellow Pisan. so um, I think we talked about that was it was when I was still in the in the old location where Elliott's is now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then um, I think you did a little, interview i'm not really sure for what it was for it was,
1: it was for a neighborhood newsletter and oh so right 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 okay back when i had more time and energy i was putting out a regular neighborhood newsletter and so you know businesses would come in and i would just do a little write-up about yeah. them in the in the e-newsletter that would go out every month
0: okay I re- and i remember that i'm like oh he seems like a nice guy and and um and then i would see you everywhere and <laughs> I'm like this EJ guy is everywhere. I would see him on his bike and he would be at meetings and he would be on, you know, on boards. And, um, and then I thought, well, if I'm seeing him everywhere, I must be everywhere too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that's true. That's true.
0: You know, which is, Hmm. No, is is not, not one of my words, uh, which is why I'm, I'm doing things that I've done before in the neighborhood, which I said I I don't have time to do this, but evidently I do, and I would just see you everywhere doing all the things. And I remember us sitting. I don't know if you remember this. We sat down at uh, I had a picnic table outside my store, and we sat down. And I finally just said, "So what's your deal, EJ?" Like, because I'm a <laughs> I'm sort of
1: that. I'm yeah. sort of blunt,
0: yeah. and. um you figure out pretty quickly that my intentions are good, but you're like, "Wow, you're blunt." So, what's your deal? Like, you're everywhere. Do, do you? What is the, the the market like? Do you get paid for that? Like, how do you? I was more more than anything, I was fascinated by how you were had a family, rode your bike everywhere, and like did all the things. So, how do you? So, how do you think? I mean, I think that's part of the creative personality and the the you know, you just try to dig deep and, and find that last little bit. So how do you, how do you do all the things? Or at least you did all the things then I know you're sort of focusing more. We'll talk about that next focusing more on one thing now, but like then you were just, you were doing so much stuff.
1: Yeah. And I'm uh, so that's the thing, just like this, this constitutional incapability of saying no. Um, so after so, I was chair of the Emerson Garfield Neighborhood Council a couple of years ago. And if we have time, I would love to talk a little bit about neighborhood councils because okay. I, I feel like there's there's certain conceptions like how yeah. how are we? You we're know, doing great. Being that I'm acutely aware of time, we are, we're, yeah, we yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we're good. I just checked.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I would like to touch on neighborhood councils because I think there are a lot of misconceptions there that I you know I would like to take any opportunity to maybe reverse or counter um, yeah. that sort of thing. Um,
0: well, let's, we can just hop there. Let's just hop there. Well,
1: so the, the it's, in terms of time management, mm-hmm. I am still, much to my wife's chagrin, doing a, a lot of the things, <laughs> yeah. if not necessarily all. <laughs> all the things. And so um, I was chair of the neighborhood council back in the day, and then COVID knocked everybody for a loop. I mean, oh, every yeah. businesses, nonprofits, everybody. The and great so, abyss. The, you know, like everything, you know, we went online for a while and, you know, there was this slow process, well, actually rapid process of attrition where we were seeing huge turnouts beforehand. We've always been like one of the most engaged neighborhood councils in Spokane. And then, you know, we were down to just the diehards and I, and, and I hate that, you know, because you, sh- any organization should be bringing in new folks all right, the time. Right. Um, even just, you know, for, even if they show up once and they're curious and then they leave, but if you have enough one timers then you you still bring in that energy into the room,
0: yeah, so, totally.
1: So um, I stepped up to be chair again of the Emerson Garfield Neighborhood Council, and so that's just my term started a couple months ago. And so, in a way, even though a lot has happened since then, I still you know get called back into these things because <laughs> you love something and, you, and you you know you want to make sure and that you it don't continues. want it to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: and and yeah, that's I get it. Yeah. I and so it
1: would be super easy to walk away uh, from a lot of stuff. Um, but I, for so many reasons, couldn't, would would just feel awful if, like the market, um, you know, there came a point when I had to make a clean break and say, I just, I've been doing this for seven years. I cannot do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of had to let it fall into someone's hands. Unfortunately, fortunately, you know, there was someone... Um there was Taylor who who took took it over for uh for a season and then passed it on to Anne. And so fortunately there was that succession there. Yes. Um and not all organizations and grassroots organizations in particular are so fortunate, but
0: yeah. yes, and, and Anne is um uh also on the North Monroe Business mm-hmm. District Board, a lovely person and um really just a community. Focused mm-hmm. and and lovely. I think it's in great hands with her. Yeah, yeah. She's been doing a, a bang up job and
1: continuing, you know, the as with any organization, the big thing is do they get it? Do they do they get the mission of the market? Do they get what it's about? Yes. And you know, and it she could, does. Exactly. Exactly. She
0: totally does. Yeah. And it's just one of the reasons I'm proud of the of the neighborhood is is that that mar- that market for sure. And the things that they make possible. Um, So you, I mean, you should, I know you're self deprecating, but you should feel very proud of that. So let's launch into the, the the neighborhoods. I think it's such an important thing um, to talk about Uh, since Spokane is changing greatly. And Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying not to fight it because sort of what you fight you give energy to mm-hmm. and I don't want to give energy to anything that's negative negative. And, and cities grow. I mean, it's just the way that it happens. So I'm trying to like open up my heart and mind to the incredible growth because it does bring in really amazing things. I mean that we're sitting at, at a thriving podcast studio. Um, this would not have been around you know, 10, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, we Spokane has all this thing. We're not like a little Seattle. Like I hate that so much. We're just our own thing. And yeah. we have our own
1: deal. And Spokane needs to come to terms with that. You right, know. There is know. an element of Spokane that is very protective of Spokane. And yes. I don't know if the insularity always does it uh,
0: any favors. Right. You know, um, those I think, are the lifers, the ones that, so because they say you have to be here 25 years and before you're actually like a Spokaneite.
1: And those are the Scandinavian roots that we found in 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 Germany, <laughs> you know, and so that's, you know, that's the sort of thing that we were escaping. However, right. you know, and, and yet there's this weird, um, there's this, this this weird other current mm-hmm. where, yeah, it's hard to break into, but at yes. the same time, Spokane is incredible, incredibly accessible. At the same time, like, yes, you know, you can get your city council member in front of you down for a meeting, yes. really at any time, right? Yeah, which yes. is yes,
0: but it, it you newcomers do find it a little hard to break yes. in. I mean, we're we're incredibly nice. A little bit passive aggressive maybe <laughs> I mean just not in a bad way um we're incredibly generous but kind of frugal yeah, yeah yeah you know there's just I mean I think I could write a
1: city of contradictions it's such yeah. a city
0: of contradictions yeah. and yeah I but also very lovely and growing crazily
1: yeah and so you know we shouldn't be embracing a lot of these these newer influences because I think um, you know, again, as in any organization, newcomers have a lot to to bring, they bring these outside perspectives. And so you get out of this siloed thinking. Yes, because there is a tendency, again with Spokane as well as within you know the organizations that that are in it and its institutions, there's a tendency to think, well, this is the status quo, this is the way we've always done things, mm-hmm. this is the way we've always got to do things. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things, you know, there's there's always got to be this balance of what is worth preserving. And let's really take a look at that and make sure that, you know, what's working for us and what people might not be doing elsewhere, but is really worth holding on to. but also seeing what folks are doing uh, elsewhere and then maybe incorporate that a little after the fact, having learned the lessons that, that, you know, they've had to, to deal with. Right. And so Spokane has that opportunity in a lot of other cities in Seattle, Portland, New York, wherever else, um, And doesn't always afford itself that opportunity. That's Um,
0: such a lovely way of putting it. Um, EJ is so diplomatic. I would say, yes, that's very true. And there's, I would say that there are problems in this city that our people in power need to start looking towards cities who've done a better job of it and start paying attention right now I'm just gonna say that and if somebody wants to fight me on it you're welcome to um I'll take yeah I'm Italian but
1: I you, you mentioned the like the elected officials and the decision makers and I think that's um that highlights this dichotomy so we yes. have elected officials who are like I'm a lifelong spokenite and right. that's a selling point yeah and, you know you know more power to them that's that's fantastic but they use that as a, like a, a key plank in their platform right? that I'm a lifelong spoken. And then you have other folks who are like, I lived in Seattle for three years. I've seen the big wide world. right? And that makes me qualified to do it. And it's like, neither, neither neither is accurate.
0: Like let's get in. Let's start talking about out this cliche out of the box, but like innovative, different holistic approaches to some of our problems, like people without houses and uh crime and all of that, you know, mm-hmm. if we keep looking at it from the same way we've looked at it, it, it's, it's going, the result is going to be the same. I mean, you know, what you get from banging your head is a sore head. And I, and you know, I, I just, I hope that the thinkers, cause I consider you a thinker and the thinkers like, like you and, and others will with big brains will, have some really innovative solutions,
1: and I, 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 can. I'm aware of myself getting very eager to speak because I think that <laughs> r- ties into neighborhood councils so well. Yes,
0: let's because, talk about it.
1: So you have these ideas, right? And that, you know, everybody deals with these things um, sort of a, on an individual basis, and so they see, you know, they read headlines, they read news stories, they process them, they engage with folks uh, on social media, and and maybe discuss these stories, and then they, it's also what they. Um, you know, what they learn experientially. And so, you know, what they encounter downtown with, you know, when you talk about things like homelessness or or crime or things like that. Or for example, right, as much as I love the neighborhood right now, um, just two days ago, I had people smoking crack and fentanyl right behind my house um, holy cow yeah and you know there th- this <sighs> is this is a, a sort of weekly reality for me as well mm-hmm. and so you realize okay there are these very sort of on the ground issues mm-hmm. that we that we need to deal with and and just basic quality of life stuff and so you start thinking like okay well what vehicle do I have what what mode of attack do I have to address these problems and taking to social media is not that it's not a, a You know, like sort of a a productive outlet. Um, You know, you can do that in conjunction with other things, but there also has to be kind of legwork attached to anything.
0: Right. It's a great way to vent and get validated.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But not a lot of action comes out of it.
1: Yeah. And so, um, you know, you have to be willing to take action. And so some folks really are. And they say, okay, what can I do about this? I have people smoking crack, smoking fentanyl behind my house. How do I make this? Um, how do I address this problem again, holistically, not just moving folks somewhere else, Mm -hmm. not just having folks arrested, but, you know, things that we can do systemically because we are very much lacking on that front. Yes. Do you think, okay, um, you know, you can call 911. You can call the city's 311. You know, you can call crime check. You can call cops and you can make all these phone calls and send emails. And right now, everything has broken down to such a point, And this is something that we just heard at the neighborhood council meeting. Everything's broken down to such a point where everything's under resourced, understaffed. You, there's it's yeah, yeah, it's complete, a complete exercise in futility. You're not going to get anywhere. It's not that they don't want to help, it's that they just don't have
0: the resources. Yeah. If there's a fire burning, yeah. And- something just got stolen over here. They're going to go to the fire. Yeah. And, and I just think, yeah, that the, 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 large crimes, the stabbings the shootings and things that are really happening as we become a bigger city, those things, they take priority.
1: Yeah. Um, and so you can kind of inhabit those people's worlds that are, you know, on the other end of the phone and understand and, you know, and approach that with sympathy and understand where they're coming from, you know, just like you can approach the, um, you know, the homeless issue with sympathy and, um, and say, okay, you know, I understand that there are other socioeconomic forces at work here mm-hmm. and that they need to be addressed too. But, so you're stuck, um, left feeling frustrated and, and angry mm-hmm. and helpless mm-hmm. and despairing because you think there are real issues that are on my doorstep and then every avenue that I want. Literally to, on your doorstep. Literally, literally on your doorstep. Mm-hmm. Um you know, that are preventing your kids from going out for bike rides because they're being threatened by folks when they open the garage door. I mean, stuff like that. So, um, at any rate, so you're, you're confronted with these problems on your doorstep and you say, I, I, we want, I want a solution. I want to take action. I want to address these. How do I do that? And for, to my mind, one of the most productive vehicles for that is the neighborhood council. And I know I say that, and then that immediately I, 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 I can almost sense a listener saying, well, I know about neighborhood councils. Neighborhood councils are full of NIMBYs. They're full of angry old men mm-hmm. shaking their fists, <laughs> saying, get off my lawn. Right. Um, they're full of a bunch of busybodies and you know, neighborhood councils are no good. And I have this conversation regularly with folks who I admire very much, but don't know about the neighborhood council system or they've encountered it only tangentially. And they say, I know all about neighborhood councils. You know, they're, they're worthless. And I would not say for a moment that in some cases, the worst stereotypes about neighborhood councils are completely justified. You know, we certainly within the neighborhood council system have our fair share of angry old men. Right. We have our fair share of NIMBYs. You not know, they, in my backyard, yeah. for those of you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and so these folks are definitely present, just like they're kind of present in every organization across all walks of the Oh,
0: country. yeah, totally.
1: Um. And so you have your curmudgeons, but, um, you know, any organization is kind of what you make it. And so sure, there might be, these folks might, um, might exist and might participate, um, in some neighborhood councils to varying degrees, you know, more than others. But, um, the, you know, you change that by participating yourself you know, those, if you do not consider yourself a NIMBY and you do not consider yourself an angry old man, Mm -hmm. then participate yourself. And the neighborhood councils are one of the most hyper local, most accessible ways for folks to just show up. There's, you know, usually the the barrier for entry is so low. It's like attend a couple meetings just to make sure that you're not showing up as a single issue uh, grouch. Right. You know, (laughs) And so just show up for a couple meetings, like in Emerson Garfield, it's like three meetings over a six month period. It ain't a high barrier. Right. And then that's like that kind of attests a, a to your willingness to, to, or your commitment. And then, you know, you can start participating in votes and stuff like that. And so the best way to refashion an organization isn't just to say, well, let the NIMBYs have it, but to actually participate yourself. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I love about Emerson Garfield, despite the problems that I just mentioned, mm-hmm. is that we have an active and thriving neighborhood council that actually goes back to, like, the Dave inviting me to a barbecue, uh, you know, if I can call back to that. Yeah. Because it's a bunch of folks from across the political spectrum. You know, I know that when we figuratively go into the voting booth or cast our ballots we're marking candidates from you know different camps that's there's no question about that but there's this remarkable and just super encouraging and super heartening consensus that exists when it comes to basic quality of life issue Mm -hmm. and so you have folks who would politically be maybe conservative or you know progressive or ultra liberal or whatever Mm -hmm. and yet we all get into a room 30 of us even post COVID and sit down and say, okay, how do we address these situations holistically? And so for the newcomers, they come in and they say, okay, you know, there's this conversation happening that echoes what I've been having in my household or in my head, so let me participate in that. And oh my word, these folks are tapped into resources Mm -hmm. that I can then use, so I can, so now I've got this vehicle with some force, with some teeth and this collaboration to then go and and start addressing these issues that are on my doorstep. And by addressing those issues on your doorstep, you make life better for your neighbors, for your immediate neighbors, and then the wider
0: neighborhood. Right. Yeah. And and I think a really great takeaway from what you just said is also that um, you, even if you, you know, if you participate or go to a meeting, um, you're going to, you're still getting out of your siloed thinking and you're going to share that. Oh, I went to, you know, I went to a council neighborhood council meeting and it was really great. It was much more than I expected. And you share that with somebody. And so it's a ripple. I think it's a ripple effect that makes a. they're not huge waves, but they're ripples. And that makes a big difference. Uh, one of the things that, um, I, I, I didn't know about until I, um, until I did was uh, the free pantries in this neighborhood. There's mm-hmm. quite a few. And there's a couple that are very, uh, the Charbonneaux are all in mm-hmm. um, great community members and great people. Um, and they play Mr. And M- uh, Mrs. Santa Claus. So how could you, I mean, you, you got to <laughs> love them for that. But when I got tapped into the, the group that does the free pantry, it suddenly was like, okay, I can do something. I um, I can, I can donate, my store can donate, I can, um, you know, I can use whatever I can leverage and put food in these pantries for people who need it. And I've had people come into my store and I've said, you know what, you go down to Montgomery and, you know, and you can get get some food. Mm-hmm. And and that helps, you know, it's not everything, but being able to make decisions on a full stomach or make decisions on an empty stomach, different world. And so I think just some of those those things you find out about and you can then start participating in whatever way you can participate. Right. And that makes a super huge difference. And maybe you can't be the chair or the leader of the event or the whatever, but you can buy an extra couple boxes of something and begin. And I think the beginning of taking that frustration and turning it into change, Mm -hmm. that's, that's creativity to me, which, you know, is my juice. It's my jam.
1: Yeah. And the thing is too, like with the neighborhood councils, you know, they are part of this sort of, you know, they're embedded in the city charter. They're part of just local governance. Mm -hmm. And so they give you actual like policy routes. Like you can influence policy. Yeah, exactly. And And so that's one of the huge advantages is that they're kind of embedded institutionally. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're more than just a grassroots group. Um, And then the other thing too, is that I I see like West Hills is going on because of the the development that's going on in in West Hills where, you know, here was a solution that was proposed to address homelessness and, you know, the West Hills neighborhood council um, had differing opinions. And I will not comment on that because I think, I think it's more complex than, you know, I don't know if it's a, simply a matter of a knee jerk reaction, but um, you know, again, I don't know enough of the details to to say definitively one way or the other. What I will say is that a lot of neighborhood councils suffer from this and get a bad rap because they become so issue driven and they become Mm. so when folks come out over a single issue, and you know, the, the debate begins very heated. It begins with these factions. And so people go and they say, I went to a neighborhood council meeting and it was full of shouting and it was horrible and it was all contentious and, I le- and I'm and i leaving there and I'm so glad to be gone. Yeah, I'll never and go back again. Yeah, neighborhood councils are toxic. And the thing is neighborhood councils can counter that and can avoid that by be- when you have a core group of individuals and actually more than that core group of individuals that remains constant Mm-hmm. So, that when these issues do arise, North Monroe, mm-hmm. that you're equipped to handle them in a mature and sober fashion um, rather than being um, driven one way or the other yeah. by the heated opinions and sometimes uninformed and unhistorical or, or ahistorical opinions that mm-hmm. enter the room. And so you can serve as this moderating influence so when people come in and say the road diet's gonna do this yeah. you can say well actually <laughs> right. you know we've been studying this for five years it's gonna
0: save lives yeah. and yes yeah
1: know, and be better for small business and allow for things like art on monroe which wouldn't have been possible with the five-lane thoroughfare you know
0: right we would never have attempted that event which happened last last weekend um you know a bunch of artists up and down the district. it was lovely and we want to do it um, again next year. That would never have happened with the tiny sidewalks and the cars going too fast. I mean the the and you know the 77 feet across of that road was not up to code anyway. It's now code mm-hmm. and walkable and that is so what makes the neighborhood just spectacular
1: and without a neighborhood council, that would that project would not have happened a case uh, a strong enough case would not have been able to have been made for it right without people who were you know looking to other cities looking at what was possible researching it in depth yes and then critically as residents as business owners mm-hmm. and saying okay is this going to be a good thing in the long term because i have a vested interest in this cuz i live a block from this road oh yeah you know is it going to result in congestion is it going to be beneficial in the long term for the small businesses that i want to that i want to preserve and so um without not only a neighborhood council, but also a robust neighborhood council that was able to withstand some of the single issue folks that came in the hit and runs, which were also happening. Yeah, I got hate mail. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, that, uh, that were coming in just to weigh in on that and then run away. Right. You know um, the neighborhood council was there to, um, to advance, to to present a sober historical contextual perspective. Yeah. And then weather some of that short term, very fiery debate.
0: I I was never more proud that I mean that the the way it was handled, um, the way the campaign to educate people was handled. I mean, it was just it was just a great project and it was kind of a, uh, you know, it set the bar for what construction projects could be and what neighborhoods can do which is, you know, it's pretty amazing what it, what it is now.
1: And can I just say for the record, because this, this was omitted so often from a lot of the reporting on it, on North Monroe, and I, maybe I shouldn't, you know, uh, open old wounds, but it was the, the, one of the biggest sticking points for me with a lot of the coverage was that, you know, I hoofed it on a hot summer day to every, every single business along North Monroe with a questionnaire before the project had even kind of gelled and said, would you be receptive to this? And so many of the folks that came out in opposition to it later, uh-huh. driven by whatever motives they had yeah. were receptive to it. And right. they went on record on those questionnaires. And I, I, I was sweating and you know, on foot, went to every single one of those businesses. And that got omitted from the reporting. And I was very sad to see that omitted because it made it, it, it yeah, it, it ignored a very important Um, sort of historical component or contextual component of that.
0: I had many a conversation with with people trying, you know, just say, hey, I just want to put something in your brain. You know, I'm not trying to change your mind. And sometimes it's just, you know, it's having a conversation like this. You have a conversation and out of that conversation comes a lot of really great things. If people just, you know, talk to each other and uh, sort of exchange ideas rather than, you know, ideologies or insults um, out of that exchange of ideas, lots of beautiful things can be born. So we are going to wrap up, but before we do, I want to uh, tell me, where people can hear you because you kind of made a career change. You're now at Spokane public radio, another wonderful organization in a cool building on North Monroe. It kind of feels like all the cool stuff's on North Monroe, but then, <laughs> but then I'm just going to say Garland's awesome, South Perry and all, I mean, there's a million great neighborhoods, but you know, I may be best.
1: Um Yeah. So I made a career change recently. Um, uh, It's so hard for me to kind of summarize things because there was so much that kind of went into this decision. But um, yeah, recently I put my name forward and ended up succeeding. And I I emphasize that rather than replacing I, I ended up succeeding Vern Windham as arts and music director at at Spokane Public. Radio.
0: Who could ever replace Vern Windham?
1: Exactly, exactly, <laughs> and that's why I emphasize that because a lot of folks, you know, uh, quite rightly, are very protective of Vern yes. and saying, you know, you know, is there going to be continuity there? And I would say, yes, yes, there's definitely going to be continuity, although there will inevitably be change as well because I'm I am not Vern. Right. But. um yeah so that was that was a a very recent change and i have you know i confess to no experience in radio nothing um but i thought it was a really exciting challenge that i wanted to embrace and it gives me an opportunity like this podcast to cover a lot of folks who are doing some amazing things in the in the community so i get to interview folks almost every day of the week and like yourself, you yeah. are doing Audra Monroe. I've been interviewed. Um, yeah, so I get to do that and chat with folks and really bring draw attention to all the cool stuff that's going on because there's so much that's unrecognized and underrecognized in Spokane.
0: Absolutely. That, I think you just, you nailed it right there. And so listen to um, EJ on Spokane Public Radio, and we just... You know, appreciate you listening and giving the ideas a think or two, and I just I want to. Uh, part of what is so great about this podcast is that I get to acknowledge. Um, I think it's missing in the world in every possible way. So you know, I acknowledge your committedness and conviction, creativity. Uh, your thinking and your commitment to, you know, people living really great lives in this community. We appreciate it.
1: Well thank you so much for having me. It's nice to kind of come on and waffle a little bit and I hope you were able to, to get something out. Oh of
0: that. That's the beauty of this man. <laughs> we just flow. No bigs. Well, we will talk to you guys out there next time. Thanks for listening. This has been making it in Spokane.